Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. We are here to know God and make him known. And of course, we continue to do that by studying his word, by worshiping together, fellowshipping together. And, and this last, these couple of weeks uh, before we kick off our new sermon series in Revelation later this month, uh, we're just talking about what it is to belong to the church and being welcome here. And uh, last week, we, we really started this journey. I can't do it. Okay. I thought I could like talk and move the thing at the same time. And now I've just made a fool of myself, and it's really fun. So uh, we're talking about who is welcome here. And, and so because we are given this command in Romans fifteen seven, the end of the, the letter of uh, Paul to the church in Rome, and he says, therefore, welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. That we are supposed to be a welcoming people as Christians. We are supposed to allow people into our fellowship, welcome them in, uh, in such a way that no matter what their history or their background, they're ready to meet Jesus and be changed along with us. And that's really the goal of this series is to help us see who it is that's, that's welcome. Last week, we, we really t- uh, talked about how sinners are welcome here. And the question is, who here is a sinner? And the answer is, all of us have been struggling with sin. And have, we used to be those things, but now we're getting better. And we want to make sure we open the door to give opportunity to everyone to find the same healing and restoration and renewal in Christ Jesus that we ourselves have found. And so uh, last week, we talked about the, the uh, Statue of Liberty and that poem, the Colossus, the new Colossus that was written in celebration of her. And we, we all remember, you know, give me your, your weak, your tired, your, you know, the, the less thans, the, the broken, give them to us because we'll make something of them here in a land of opportunity. And the church should be the same way. Give us all of your sinners who are willing and ready to come and see a new and changed life because this is the place to do that. We've done it through Christ Jesus and you too can experience it as well. And so just this simple phrase, you know, you, you can keep all your uh, self-righteous fake faith. We don't want anybody that way. We don't want any perfect Christians in our church because, um, I mean, we'd let anybody in, right? But, but perfect Christians are the ones who are probably the worst off. But instead, we want everybody who is tired of sin and ready to be what they were no longer, and they can come in with us and regularly be washed, sanctified, and justified in Jesus by the Spirit. And this week, we're going to talk about something a little different. So uh, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I encourage you to open it up to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 26 through 28. So Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. Galatians is a short letter, short-ish, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the area of Galatia. They were struggling with, um, well, legalism. They were struggling with, if you want to be part of us, you got to be perfect first, and then you can come be part of us. And they had false teachers that were teaching them they had to follow the Old Testament law before they could be believers. And, and the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to help them understand that is not true. That the, the, the church is made up of people who come to Christ in faith 
faith, not who come through law or ritual. And then as we get to chapter 3, verses 26 and following, he begins to teach some things about who we are as Christians. So Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, just a short little passage to get us started. And here's what he says, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and as Paul is writing this letter and he's teaching, he's telling the church in Galatia and telling us, believers like them, that it is through faith that all of us have the opportunity to be brought into relationship with God in Christ Jesus. And not just any kind of relationship, but we're all sons and daughters of the Most High God by faith. And that should get us cranked up any, any given morning to know that the God of all creation, when we are in Christ Jesus, sees us as dearly beloved sons and daughters. And you know, just, just like in family life, we give special privileges to our own children over and above the children of others. God grants his beloved children special privileges and rights. And amongst those, it's the privilege of belonging to the body of Christ, the church. And, and he says this, those of you who were baptized in Christ, into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. Those of us who have, this is kind of a double speak, there is the act of baptism, but it's also to be fully immersed in the goodness of Christ. And that's signified by our getting wet in the baptistry. So everybody who has followed after Jesus in obedience, in believer's baptism, which signifies their full immersion into Christ, as their Lord and Savior and their lifestyle. You've now been clothed with Christ. That when God the Father looks at you, sons and daughters, by faith in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so there's this beautiful equality in Christ Jesus. You could raise your hand like the Apostle Paul and say, hey, I'm the, the worst of the sinners. And yet when God looks at us in Christ, he doesn't see the worst of the sinners and the least of the sinners. He sees sons and daughters whom he loves. And Paul concludes this thought with this statement. He says this, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, some people have misused this verse to, uh, to create this idea that there's this androgyny, this lack of ethnicity or any flavor in the body of Christ. And that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. What had been argued to this church by false teachers is that you had to be of a specific lineage and heritage, a specific background in order to be saved. And if you weren't of that background, then you had to first convert to that background of Judaism, and then you could become a Christian. So they said the only way to get to Christianity is to go through obeying the Jewish law. And Paul is saying that is not true. It is by faith that we're all saved. And the Jewish law had very distinct divisions in life. Uh, that, that if you were Jewish, you were of God's chosen people, and you could experience salvation. It got to the point in, in, in the Jesus' day and age that non-Jews were looked at as dogs. 
uh, we actually see Jesus having an interaction up in the northern part of Israel with a, a Syrophoenician woman. She was uh, a, a foreigner, a, a, a Gentile, a Greek, if you will. And, and she, um, she asks Jesus to help her out. And Jesus actually says to her, uh, well, should I give to dogs that which belongs to the, my, the, to the children? And um, he's, he's essentially calling her a dog, not because he doesn't love her, but because the, 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 uh, the cultural distinctions in that day and age are such that Jewish people saw everyone else as being dogs, essentially unable to be saved by God. And Jesus opens the door and she actually says, well, Lord, that's true. You should feed the children, but can't the dogs get the crumbs that fall off the table? And Jesus is like, you're right. And, and he, he does for her what she asks right there. Because Jesus understood that ultimately there's going to come a time in him, which Paul tells us here, where there is no longer any distinction that when God looks out over mankind and offers up salvation, it is not limited to just the Jews or the Gentiles. It's not limited to just free people or slaves. It's not limited to just men and women are excluded. Instead, when we get to the offer, the free offer of salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, it is for everyone, regardless of your background. And so we can put this concept into some modern uh, words that, that apply and help us understand. So the gospel brings welcome for all. Everybody is welcome to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everybody is welcome to submit themselves to him and become part of the church. And it's regardless of your ethnicity. Uh, I grew up in the south of the United States, Midwest and the south, south mostly. And, you know, ethnicity was a dividing factor in the church. It's not that we didn't believe somebody can be saved, but, you know, white folk didn't go to the black folk church and vice versa. You had a few families that would maybe, uh, you know, go back and forth. A white guy with a little bit of funk would go to the black church. And then the, the black family that was uh, a, a little more staid and wanted more Bible study would come to the white church. But it just it wasn't often that you mixed. There was, there was a dividing line according to ethnicity. I, I know up here. There are some dividing lines according to ethnicity. Anybody familiar with that here in the Pittsburgh area? Ever seen that? I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one who sees it. And I'm not talking about black and white. I'm talking about like Italian and Hungarian. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like like German and and uh, Polish. You know that that uh, you know we hate other people uh, based on their ethnicity. We, we maybe even think they're dogs and cannot be saved. And, and the gospel says that someone's ethnic background is of no consequence regarding their salvation. Now, it doesn't say you have to erase your love for pierogies or spaghetti or goulash. It doesn't say you have to get rid of who you are. What it says, though, is that who you are doesn't keep you from being saved. The family that you come from, the ethnicity that you're from, it doesn't make it impossible for you to be saved. No longer must you abandon curry in order to be a Christian. But instead, you, me, the curry, pierogies, spaghetti, sauerkraut, uh, chitlins, we can all be believers together because of Christ Jesus. So ethnicity is off the table. So what that means for us as a church 
is that when someone of a different ethnic background walks in the door, should they be welcome? Yeah. I'm not even talking skin color. I'm not not talking about how they dress. I'm not talking about their slang or their language. I'm talking about whatever division you might think was relative or, or, or uh, was relevant or appropriate, whatever division where, oh no, you shouldn't come to our church. You should go to that church. That church is for you. It should be off the table for us. There is no one from any background, or any ethnicity that should not be welcome because all of us can be one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter your religious history. It doesn't matter what kind of stuff you've been into. The church should be welcoming. In, in, in this verse, it says, uh, you know, Jews or Greeks, and they would have had two very different religious backgrounds. The Jews, of course, have the Old Testament law, and Greeks, all the Gentiles, it's pagans of every flavor, worshiping all kinds of different gods or no god at all. And the Apostle Paul is really pointing out it doesn't matter your ethnic background or your religious history, you too can be saved. And you and everyone like you should be welcomed into the church and the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And so when we have someone that's all tatted up and maybe has some upside down crosses or some goat skulls on their forehead, what does that mean about their ability to be saved and belong to our fellowship? Nothing. It is completely irrelevant. In fact, we should have open arms toward them because they are saved just like us. The the same is true of any other religious background you can think about. No matter how pagan or destitute or wrong, everyone can walk in the door, is welcome to walk in the door, and is welcome to experience salvation in Christ Jesus. And that should be our attitude. And that also means that no one is beyond the hope of Jesus. No one is beyond being saved. And so we should be sharing the gospel, spreading the seed of the good news to whomever we meet, regardless of what presuppositions or or what prejudice we might have against them because of their background. The gospel brings welcome for all, including people of different social status. You know, it's really easy excuse me, to to create dividing lines based on social status. In fact, uh, I've been through church planter training. I don't recommend it because they made us stay up a lot. Um, Long nights, uh, bad coffee, food was okay. And Shelly was with me, so that made it better. Uh, But the assessment and the training, and it it was all about you pick the people that you wanna reach, and you might wanna focus on reaching some people with money because that'll get your church going better. And if, if we actually look, interestingly enough, do you, you know that most of the larger churches in Pittsburgh are up north, and a lot of them, the Protestant churches, a lot of them are in wealthier areas. Not that Peters Township is slacking, but it's kind of like nouveau riche. Uh, you know, we got bigger, older money up north. And, and church planters will literally look to, church, to plant churches in places where there's money. Now, why is that? We all know. It takes money to power the lights, to pay the pastors, to, to keep things going. But it shouldn't be our focus. N- neither should we look at someone who is less well off than us and determine that they are unreachable or unwelcome. Of course, the, the opposite can be true. A church that's a, a little more struggling when it comes to resources, someone who's well off and well dressed walks in, do you know what they can do? They can be like, well, I mean, you're not like us. 
you're, you're not welcome here. I mean, we work hard. You probably just barely work, right? We, we, can, we can create divisions according to social status, both directions. We're, we're creative enough to make it any direction, lots of directions. We can turn it all over the place. So we can see that, that it can be a dividing thing in our church life. But Paul says it shouldn't be. Instead, there should be no distinction. That is that, that slave or free. It doesn't matter how free someone looks or how much of a slave to whomever or whatever they look like. They should be welcome in the church of Jesus Christ. When they repent, when they turn to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they become just as much a part of us as any of the rest of us who are already here. And so we should be welcoming to them. The last distinction that Paul lays out is one of male or female. Now, we can read the Old Testament, and many of us are probably not familiar with the fact that uh, women were precluded from certain roles in the, the fellowship of, of the, the, the nation of Israel, and uh, they were actually precluded from certain ceremonies and places. If you look at the old uh, drawings of the temple, maybe in the back of your Bible, you can look at, at, at uh, Herod's temple and Solomon's temple, specifically uh, Herod's temple in the day of Jesus, and there was a huge courtyard around it, which was the courtyard of the Gentiles and women. And if you wanted to worship as a, as a Gentile or a woman, you were welcome into that courtyard, but you couldn't go into the next closer to the temple courtyard. There was a limit and a distinction. Oh, we're waving at William. I thought you were waving at me. I was like, hi, Cindy. Good to see you. And welcome. I thought I was doing something wrong. Or I, Anyway, um, you just caught me in an ADHD moment and it was like, hi. All right. Hi, everybody on the live stream. Um, but but, but there, was a, there, was a, there was a line drawn, a distinction between men and women in Old Testament and in Jesus' day Judaism. And Paul says that, that that distinction has been broken. There is no exclusion for man or woman. Everyone can come to Christ and experience the fullness of salvation and the fullness of relationship with God simply by faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we see this, we should be excited because what does it do? It opens up the door for evangelism to whoever we meet. In whatever state they're in, and they should be welcome in our midst. We should honestly be ready as a church if we really want God to use us and to, to flourish and prosper this fellowship. We should be ready to welcome into our midst anyone and everyone all the time. Now, should we be wise? Yes, as wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves is how Jesus describes the attitude of a Christian regarding other people. Understanding that we welcome everyone because everyone has the potential to be saved and sanctified and washed just like all of us. And so we have this, this wide open door where ethnicity and religious history and social status and male or female are no longer of account when it comes to salvation and oneness in the body of Christ. So we might look at that and go, so it's a free-for-all. And we just uh, we can all then, once we're in here, we just duke it out. And whoever's the best at stuff, then that's, that's who does what. Well, that's not the case. While everyone is welcome, 
and everyone is equal in salvation. God has assigned or given us specific standards and roles by which to walk. And so Titus chapter 1. If you got your Bible or your Bible app, follow along there. Because Titus is a book. Uh, you, you might wonder, who wrote the, the, uh, the letter of Titus? So, who said what? Paul, that's true. Yeah, you read it and you might think, well, it's Titus, right? No, it was written to Titus from Paul. Titus was a pastor, a young pastor. Oh, I hate when I make typos. That should be chapter 2, verses 2 through 7. Um, Sometimes you get in a rush and then you mess up. Titus is a pastor. He is serving on the island of Crete. Uh, Crete is well known in this day and age for being a difficult place. Like not just difficult for the church, but difficult in general. Earlier in this uh, letter, Paul says this of the of people from Crete. He says, one of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So Paul says, people where you're serving in church life, they are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And you might think Paul would say, but that, that's just too harsh. No, we know that God can do great things even in people like you, uh, them. No, what he says is, this testimony is true. He, he deals with reality that, that the people of Crete, they are some nasty folk. But they deserve ministry and they deserve a well-ordered church and they deserve a welcome into the body of Christ and have an opportunity to mature just like everybody else. So in Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 7, Paul writes this to Titus. He says this, Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drink. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. So Paul begins to list the these folks who are going to be in church life and what our responsibilities and our roles in this church life are. So everyone is welcome and now everyone needs to find their place in the church. And it's not a free for all, but God has given each and every one of us distinct places in the church to learn, to grow, to serve, to teach. So he, he says in this passage, there's a place in the church for all these different classes of folk. It's mostly just age differences and sex differences, male and female. We got older men and older women and young women and children and young men. And then finally, the last thing he mentions there at the very end of verse seven is about pastors and elders because he's talking to Titus, who is the pastor of the church in Crete. And so let's look at the responsibilities or the roles that God has assigned to each of these different distinctions, these different classes. I don't like that word. Divisions, I don't like that word either. These different roles in the church based upon who we are. 
For older men, what does it say to do? Well, the verse 2, older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love, and endurance. Let me tell you guys, uh, what is older? Well, anybody older than me is older. And as you age, older is always 20 years older than it was just a couple years ago, right? I mean, it's, it's amazing. When I was 30, 50 was old. Now that I'm on the doorstep of 50, 80 is old, right? I mean, that's, that's it. but <clears throat> we, we start talking about what is old. Well, older is anyone who should be expected to be more mature, especially those who've been in the faith for a while. And, and what he says is older men are to be self-controlled. You know, that, that is a huge pair of words right there, isn't it? self-controlled. Self-control encompasses so many aspects of our life. It's about what we watch, what we think about, what we put in our mouths, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. The the, the idea, the concept of self-control is not limited to being able to sit still in the church service, though that is a nice benefit of older age. Some of us sit so still, so still, it looks like we're sleeping. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and which is okay too. You guys know that. But older men, we are supposed to be self-controlled, worthy of respect. <clears throat> that old, you know, saying uh, respect isn't given, it's earned. Well, that's true. Sometimes someone is in a role where they get respect even if they don't deserve it. But God says to older men, you're supposed to strive to be someone who's worthy of being respected. What, what does that mean? Well, it means when People walk into the room, they see you, and they will defer to you. They will count your, your, your words as worthy, your presence as a blessing. Not, oh, great, here's crazy old Uncle Dawn again. Sorry, I just said your name because you're, you're like sitting there alone, and you're like a perfect target. Like it's just zero in. It could be crazy old Uncle Michael too, so just... Older men, we are supposed to be we are supposed to be modeling the Christian faith for everyone in the congregation. Your job, man, is not limited to just your family. It is limited to everyone in the fellowship. And everyone in the fellowship, old guys, and what is an old guy? I gotta say, if if you got more hair in your ears than on top of your head, you're definitely an old guy. But If you're older than someone else, you're an older man. And you should be someone who strives to be a model for those who are younger than you. Plain and simple. Older women. It's amazing, actually. Older women are given more responsibility directly than older men. Older women. You are told to be a model for the faith in the same way. When scripture says in the same way, what does it mean? In the same way. In other words, as much as older men are to be models of the faith, older women, you are to be models of the faith. Older, uh, in the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. I, I, I think it is so funny that he says this next one specifically for women, not slaves to excessive drinking. Wine moms, anybody, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. They're filling those Stanley cups with more than just water. Right? And you know it, and I know it. TikTok tells us all about it. And it's interesting that it is specifically enumerated for older women, not older men. And so not slaves to excessive drinking. And and then, so that's the modeling part. And then it says they are to teach what is good. 
Older women, you are to be teachers. Now, specifically to the younger women in the congregation and in the fellowship. And so, and it doesn't say older women who are called to teach. It doesn't say older women who have everything together and their life is perfect. It says older women, women in the church. What, what makes you an older woman? You know what? I'm not even going to touch that one, right? I could talk about guys and ear hair, but I'm not going anywhere around what defines it. It is, if anyone is younger than you, you are an older woman and you should be seeking to do these things in their life. To teach them and encourage them, these younger women, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. Older women, you actually have been given a really full and challenging role in the church. And it is to model the Christian faith to the younger women and to teach them how to live it out in every aspect of their life. It it tells old guys, just don't do stupid things. Be self-controlled. But it says to all the older women of the church, your job is to train up those who are younger than you to walk rightly in the truth of scripture. Oh, and be sure not to drink too much wine. And so sometimes we tend to think at the, uh, uh, or look at the roles of men and women in church and, and think that, well, God just wasn't fair in the way he divided some things out. And I gotta tell you, I agree with that. I think he gave you older women a much harder job than he has given anyone else in this church or anyone else in the fellowship. And it's why we need each other. It's because this is a hard job. This is a difficult role. Everyone is welcome. And now that you're here, here's your place. Old men model the faith. Older women model the faith. Teach the faith to younger women and encourage them to live it out. Young women, you are supposed to learn and live out the faith. That's that's your job. It's your role in the church. Come here. You want to know what it means to be a Christian. You want to know what it is to have a blessed marriage. You want to know what it is to raise kids that you can tolerate. Come and sit at the feet of the older women who are godly and seeking to teach you and allow them to speak into your life. I got to tell you, there's so so many resources out there for all of us, aren't there? Uh, some of you love TikTok. Some of you think that true things are on TikTok. (laughs) I don't know, most of the time. It's got like a seed of truth, but just enough lie to take you into the darkness. There, There are lots of great YouTube videos who can teach you how to do things, right? But it's so disconnected. It's so impersonal. So many people in our life, so many young people, especially they read a book and they think that they're the greatest parents ever. Because they, they read the book. I read how to, uh, what to expect when you were expecting. I, I wasn't really pregnant. Shelly was. But um, I read the book and I thought I knew everything. And then the child is born and I know nothing. Right? I want, I'll, I'll refrain from confessing everything I wanted to do to that small crying thing at three in the morning. But, but some of you understand you've been there, Right? Anyway, there, there's so much knowledge in, out there and, and people who claim to know how to, to help you live your life. And when you listen to them, young women, I, I want you to hear this especially. When you listen to them at the expense of spending time 
with older women in the church, you are missing out on real wisdom and real teaching and real knowledge. Women in your 30s and 40s and 50s, if you are not listening to the older women in the church, you are missing out. Older women, and if you are not offering yourself up for the lives of others and letting them know you're there, you're falling short. We're made to be together. Young women, you are to be learning and living. Now, children, it says here, what are children supposed to be doing in the church? <clears throat> and a lot of us would like to say, well, children should be quiet, seen and not heard, uh, right? They should be uh, present, but only when we want them uh, kind of stuff. And here's, here's what Titus says. Children, essentially, what, what's their whole job? To be loved. Now, why would I say that? Because the whole thing that older women are supposed to be teaching younger women to in, includes loving their husbands and loving their children. The only role for church in the, or children in the church mentioned here is simply to be loved. Too often, we think that loving them means shuffling them off into the corner. We'll talk more about that next week. Young men, what's your job here? So young men, you're younger than someone else. You're still, you know you got it all going on. You can still lose weight. You know what it feels like to, you know, miss a meal and drop five pounds uh, instead of miss a meal and gain 10 pounds. And, and so, uh, young men, what are you supposed to be doing in the church? You are supposed to be learning and living the faith. Learning the faith from the older men and living it out. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Now, in the same way, Younger women are to be learning in the same way younger men are to be learning and then living out the faith like the older men, learning how to be self-controlled in every way. And then finally, pastors and elders. He says this, make yourself, talking to Titus specifically, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Pastors and elders, the leaders of the church are called to model the faith and teach it. Do not follow a pastor or an elder or a leader in a local church who does not both model the faith and teach it well. Will we model it perfectly? No. Just like you will not model the faith perfectly, nor will you teach it perfectly, and we're all going to be struggling to be more Christ-like. But if it, they don't model it at all, but they're really good on the platform... Not so much. If they maybe are really great persons, guys, really great guys, but they teach garbage, not so much. Model and teach the faith. So let's, let's look at this a little bit then as, as we look, what are we welcome to do in the church? Everyone is welcome. Sinners are welcome. People of any religious background are welcome. Any ethnicity are welcome. Any social background are welcome. But we're not welcome to just come to the church and make it in our own image. And make it what we want it to be. But God has ordered and designed his church so that he welcomes people to specific things. Children. What are children welcomed to do? Two things. To be loved. Every child in this church is welcome to be loved and we body should be working to let them know that they are in how we treat them, in how we care for them and the things that we provide for them. And they're supposed to be learning 
Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, gives the, the specific responsibility to the gathered congregation who are declaring the oneness of God to continually declare his good works and his good word to everyone and most especially children. Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, raise them up, bring them up, instruct them in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. We're supposed to be loving our kids and teaching them how to learn or teaching them that they might learn. So kids, your whole job, you're a kid here. We, we, we got a few hanging out. What's your job? To let people in the church love you and to learn. Once again, we'll talk more about that next week. All women and men, some cool stuff that scripture teaches. Every woman and man, regardless of who we are, has some privileges in the body. 1 Corinthians 11 and 14 lay out that every woman and man in the fellowship has the opportunity as part of the city, as part of the fellowship to do some things. Pray. Everybody is welcome to pray together, out loud, for one another. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 does give some qualifications to that. Ladies, you're supposed to pray with your head covered. But there's some discussion. Is that like a doily or your longer hair or just submission to the authority of the church? Yes. Let's take it as when you are walking rightly with God and your fellowship and your relationships in life, you are welcome to fully participate in corporate prayer in the church. Right? And guys, it says we're supposed to be praying with hands held high. Does that mean that every time you pray, you should be like, no, then you got to watch the gut, right? Because it's, it's, that, it's that back and forth when you're, no, what, what it, hands held high is an act of worship. Both of us, men and women, when we pray, when we pray in the gathering and in the fellowship, it shouldn't be about us. It should be about our submission to God and glorifying him. I've been around people who like to pray in the gathering, who like to pray in the church, and they like to pray very eloquent prayers that make them sound really smart and spiritual. That's the kind of prayer that's unacceptable. But the broken, submissive prayer by either a man or a woman in our gathering is welcome. Sharing scripture. Everyone should be able to stand up and read scripture. First uh, Corinthians 14 talks about a service where we all get together and we take turns and we share scripture and we sing songs and we share testimonies. And that is something that happens when both men and women are gathered together. <laughs> Excuse me. Local <coughs> church. Now, I have this thing where I'm fine, and then all of a sudden, I cough. And it's like I'm about to die for like 20 minutes straight. So anyway, um, here's, here's the thing. is, is that we, We've gone to extremes in the church. We've said that everybody can do everything, or we can say that nobody can do many things. And, and the truth is, is we scripturally should be welcoming each other to pray for one another, to pray out loud, to pray together, to pray, to share scripture, to say, here's what God's word says, to share testimonies, here's what God's word has done in my life, to share songs together. I like that song, can we sing it, right? Yes, Absolutely. And so men and women, all men and women in the fellowship are welcome to those things. All men and women are welcome and encouraged to share in private and personal discipleship of an individual. So 
that the specific here is many of us are familiar with the, the names of these people, Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, the, the person that they mentored and discipled, and his name was Apollos. And so uh, Priscilla is the woman. Aquila sounds like, like her sister or her uh, girlfriend, but it's actually her husband. Old names are weird. And um, so Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, disciple Apollos together. Men and women together, women can, can be actively participating in the private discipleship and evangelism of anyone and everyone. So there aren't limitations on those things. Now, here, here's what young men and young women specifically are allowed to do in the church. Learn. Now, young people, you are, you're welcome to lead and play instruments and sing and, and pray out loud and share your testimony. But your big job here in the church is to learn. That is your role. That's your God-given, a God-appointed role in the fellowship is to come and learn. Not complain, not just eat the donuts. Um, and we didn't have a lot of donuts anyway today. We had just enough for, for some people. But, but, but to come and learn. And then, then you are challenged to live the faith. Titus 2 tells us that. 1 Timothy 4.12. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12. If we turn back and look just at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 12. <clears throat> Here's what uh, uh, Paul says to a young pastor named Timothy. He says, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Young people, live out your faith. And live it out like it's meaningful. And guess what you get to do? You actually get to be an example to us old folk. The way that you call us into to, uh, question, the way that you rebel is by being a better Christian. That, that's, that's the avenue for rebellion that scripture gives you. Be a better Christian than the people who are over you and show them what it's really about. So learn and then live the faith. Older women, you have been given the responsibility specifically to live the faith. Live the faith. Be a model. Teach younger women. It nowhere says in here only specific older women are supposed to be teaching. It is the role of every older woman in this church and in every church to teach the younger women and the children specifically to follow after Christ. To live the faith well. Encourage young women. Don't look at them and go, she could do so much better. You know, if she just listened to me, I mean, I'm not going to talk to her, but if she just listened to me, right? Don't, don't condemn one another. Um, ladies, I, I don't know for a fact since I've never been a woman, but I have heard that you all can be quite vicious toward one another. And my wife shakes her head. Yes. So I'm going with it. Sounds good. Right. Uh, if if Shelly says yes, then I must have a clear insight. Women, you should be encouraging, and older women, you should especially be encouraging the younger women instead of tearing them down, whether it's in your mind or in the way you speak about them toward others. Encourage the young women. Older men, older men, what are you supposed to be doing in the life of the church? Live the faith. Be an example. A lot of times we think because I'm not teaching a class, men and women, I don't have to quite do things well. And scripture tells us every man, every woman, if you're older than somebody else, you are a model to them and you should be living the faith. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul tells Timothy to teach other men the doctrine that he's been taught so that they might teach others as well. Men, you should be seeking to learn so well that you can teach too. That you, maybe, maybe you're not going to be ready to go down into like preschool and teach. But you are so hungry and thirsty for the truth of God's word that you are preparing yourself to teach someone in the future. Instead, a lot of times we sit back and go, well, I'm not a teacher, so it's cool. I don't have to worry. I mean, I, I know I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. I don't really know anything about anything when it comes to the Bible. I opened it once, but uh, you know, I don't really have to learn. Now, guys, guys, every one of us is responsible to be learning and growing in order to teach or train. And then finally, men specifically, you're tasked with teaching children too. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean in Sunday school, but it means in every aspect of life. That's really what Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 4 are talking about. Fathers, your job is to teach your children. Now, your wife will oftentimes be directly responsible for them being alive. But your job is to teach them the faith. And if you don't have children of your own, whether they've all grown up and are somewhere else, or you haven't had children, you are a spiritual father to every child in the church. And you are responsible to teach them. And then finally, pastors and elders, the last group of job description or role that he describes. In our tradition as Southern Baptists, we read scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, and we believe that the role of elder or pastor is reserved to men only because of the, the, the standards, there we go, that God's word gives us. It's hard to be the husband of one wife if you're a woman. And that is a specific command for an elder in both times, Titus and Timothy. And, and there are other reasons. That was the smart aleck one. But, but it, it, it is a role that is reserved for men only. And I, and I tell you that not to say, <laughs> but to say that's what God's word says. And so we, we, we seek to be faithful to God's word. But in all honesty, older women especially, I look at what Timothy has told you your job is, and your job is twice as important as mine and twice as difficult. And I am thankful that there are godly women in our church who are doing what God has commanded you to do. And that makes it possible for men like Don and Steve and I to fulfill this role of elder as God has given to us. And what's our job? It is not our job to run the church. It is not our job to do every ministry in the church. It is not our job to make sure the light bulbs are all changed. That could be deacons. We're still working on that, right? It is not our job to make sure you are happy. Scripture specifically says that elders and pastors are supposed to be teaching and keeping the doctrine for the church. Our job is to hold on to this word, white-knuckled, and say, this is all we're about. This is life. This is sustenance. This is the truth. And we are going to defend it with our life. And, and it makes sense why God would put men in charge of that job. Because we can be, like once we get onto something, we're pretty stuck. 
You might call that being closed-minded, ladies. I get that. But that's our job. That's our job. To guard, now it doesn't mean ladies don't do it. But it means that's the job we've specifically been given. And then to care for the church. Like Jesus tells Peter to feed the sheep, to, to love his sheep. In Ephesians 4, it is to help you do the work of the ministry. In 1 Peter 5, it is to care for you regardless of whether we like you or not. It's kind of how Peter puts it. And so we have these different roles, these different places, these different positions that God has blessed us with. But what does it boil down to? Well, here's what it all boils down to ultimately. In this fellowship, in every Bible-believing church, sinners of all kinds are welcome here and can discover a place in the fellowship that matters. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your genetic makeup. It means that everyone who is a sinner is welcome here. And God has already given you a job to live out and do according to his word. If you'll only look for it and follow it and obey it. Sinners of all kinds are welcome here and can discover a place in the fellowship that matters. Something I want to encourage us to do this year, and I've already mentioned it, we've already been encouraged in in some ways, is to choose one person that we know needs the gospel this month. Pray for them, and then share with them the good news of Jesus before the end of January. And then to do the same thing for February, and then March, and April, May, and June, and July. And I I could go around the room and and just count real quick. it's a snow day. I think we're at about 40. I'm a pastor though, so it could be as low as 15 and I just see more people. Um, actually, I'm a pastor. There's 300 here in attendance this morning. And if all 300 of us, no, but, but just 40 people. If, if the 40 of us here this morning, 45, how, however you want to count, don't, don't count around and tell me I'm wrong later. Just let, let me live with my 40. 40 people, if 40 of us, Share the gospel with 12 different individuals this year. How many people will hear the gospel? So somebody, somebody's got to do some quick math, right? Four, 480 people will hear the gospel, have a clear gospel presentation by the end of this year. If 10% of those, which is about the statistic, if 10% of those receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and come to Christ, what does that mean? That means we would almost, if, if they were to come here and fellowship with us, we, we, we would double in attendance in one year. Now, it's not about numbers, but it is to say, we want more brothers and sisters. A bigger church family is a happier church family and has so much potential. And if, if 40 of us choose one, pray for one, share the gospel with one every month, there'll be another 48 people here by the end of the year who can help us to accomplish the jobs that we've been called to and given. Older women, older men, younger women, younger men, kids, pastors and elders. We long for these other folks, these other bodies to come and add their strength to ours and invigorate us. If you need help with that, if you look to the back, there's a sign and it says this. It's really hard to understand. It says, choose, pray, share. You might not know what it's about other than choose, pray, share. Choose one, pray for them, share it this month. 
There are some, some gospel tracks already back there. Church invitation over the next few weeks as things come in through delayed shipping. Um, I'll have even more tracks. And hopefully you'll be able to find one that you like. There's going to be some smart aleck ones that look like million dollar bills. Don't leave it for a tip for the waitress. Give it to your friend that can laugh at the joke with you and share the gospel. That would probably be really effective at the IRS. They're all looking to collect more money, right, Joycelyn? Um, I mean, everyone but Joycelyn who works at the IRS is evil, and we know that. But we love Joycelyn. Um, but, but, but other opportunities. If, if you need to training, you want, you want to go through your testimony and how to share the gospel, come, come and I'll, I'll, I'll talk with you about it. But choose one, pray for one, share, for, share the gospel with one every month this year, and we will make an impact in our community so that we can come to a place where we can say to everyone, as we share the gospel and they come in the door, you're welcome here. Now let us help you find your place. Let us help you find fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Let us help you live out the gospel commands for your life so that you can know God and make him known in your life as well. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your love for us. And we thank you that uh, your word is rich and true and teaches us who we are and how we can live together in peace and harmony and unity as the body of Christ. Please open our hearts and minds to be able to see that the calling on each of our lives is great and majestic and each job is necessary and needed. And so may we not discount what we've been called to and seek after someone else's calling, but instead rejoice in what you've chosen for us to do and given us. Father, I thank you for the older men and the older women in our church. I thank you that uh, they are growing in faithfulness and self-control. They are growing in modeling the faith and growing in readiness to teach and teaching. I pray that you would uh, just bless the younger men and women of the church with the ability to learn with graciousness, to live with with, uh, just a sold-out heart. And for all the kids, we pray that you would help us to be faithful, to love them as they deserve and steward them well as a resource, realizing that they are the church already, especially these little brothers and sisters who have already received you, Lord Jesus. Help us to model to them the faith as they deserve. Instead of being uh, older Christians who uh, look like hypocrites and, and liars, may we be big brothers and sisters who nurture them. And yeah, we have our faults, but we show them how to live. Thank you once again for this time. We ask that you would bless what remains of it as we fellowship together and as we offer up this last song of, of worship and praise to you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and, and close in our last song of the morning.